When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From Pieces of Eden, Solar Flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You also know me as SheCup, and we are back with another episode of the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, and it's an exciting day. Yes, it is an exciting day. Do you know why it's an exciting day? I know why it's an exciting day. I don't know if our listeners know. Well, do you want to tell them? You can tell them, along with your name. Oh, Yes, I am. If you're new and you don't know, I am Austin, also known as Teacup, the other host of this podcast. And it's a great day because we're starting a new season. Yay. Happy dance time. Yes. So we are done for now with our Assassins versus Templars part two season, which it has been a long journey. Um, and we're starting out with something I think will be really great. So we're going to do kind of like a everything you need to know about blank. Insert this. Kind of season and some of this will be review and kind of revisited for people who might not want to go you know all the way drudging back to our episode one but want to stay current with the lore cast they can listen to stuff so we're going to do some revisiting of some topics expanding information we will be building on those first episodes so if you want to go listen to them definitely go take a listen to them but just kind of more stuff that we didn't cover because we were either press for time in the episode or we just were trying to get very much of the basics so we're just revisiting a couple of topics there and then in another part of we're going to be deep diving more and more into the isu about pieces of eden we haven't touched on what we have yet to talk about isu stages like all this great stuff is coming up and exciting along with some awesome character deep dives but it's going to be a great great season yeah, I'm really excited for this one. And I think it should be said that like this episode that we're doing today, like we're we're talking about the animus, but this is not going to be word for word verbatim exactly the same as our very first episode also on the animus. There's going to be new information. There's going to be different information. There are going to be things in this episode that we didn't cover back then because we were just starting out or we didn't know or we didn't have time or we didn't want to get too in depth whatever this episode series is all about everything you need to know so it's going to be super detailed and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty yes and there will be some kind of like prompts of discussions that we're going to go over and really kind of deep dive to like some bigger questions surrounding some of these topics that we've revisited like the animus like uh, some big events that we've covered, you know, the history of the Assassins versus Templars overview of like we did the history of the Assassins, but we haven't really talked a lot about their structure. So we'll revisit that and really dive into like, what is the hierarchical structure of these organizations? And what does that mean? And how do they look mm -hmm. similar and different? You know, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, it is. Well, 
it sounds like we are just ready to go ahead and dive right in. So I say let's do that. Yeah. So before we start with the early history of the Animus, I've got some fun facts that I want to dive into, which I know I normally do them at the end, but we're just learning some new stuff. So the term animus is the Latin term referring to the mind or senses. Now, Shelby and I kind of, we already knew this a little bit, or you, I did. Did you not know this? I don't know a damn thing about Latin. Well, so the animus, for those of you, is very much related to the Hebrew word ruach and the ancient Greek word for pneuma or what also would be into spiritus. So animus is very much like the mind. And when you think of the mind versus the soul, like it's the essence of who you are. It's basically like what the animus. Um, This is why like sometimes I get frustrated with JK Rowling's uses of Latin because an animagus is someone who changes shape, but they're not changing their mind. They retain their mind okay so let's just let's just make it real simple for the for the listeners you're saying that there are greek words that mean your soul your mind your your who you are innately and that is in hebrew ruach in greek pneuma in latin spiritus and you're saying that animus which also comes from a Latin word is also in that category. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that's really my only like big fun fact other than like there's a funny moment in Assassin's Creed 2 where Desmond praises the Animus 2.0 for having subtitles making up for the lagging translation software. So we'll talk about this a little bit, but the Animus, you're hearing everything in whatever language you set the game to because the Animus is translating. That's why you'll sometimes see like words that are left untranslated. They'll like put in parentheses like that is it's not just the game adding subtitles like that is a feature of the animus that is doing that. Um, But that's a that is a um, dig at the first animus, which did not have options for subtitles. So, okay. I'm just realizing with this fun fact, I've I've maybe misconceptualized the animus a little bit because I just kind of assumed that like when we're playing the game, the words that we're hearing, like that was just for us. That wasn't necessarily what the person in the animus was also experiencing. I just thought they were like getting a script translation and that they were talking to the person and they were still speaking in whatever language they were speaking in. So like Desmond makes a comment of this in Assassin's Creed one, where he's talking to Vidic and he says like, why does everyone in the, you know, in this 12th century middle East, why are they all speaking English? And Vidic was like, the animus is translating. They're speaking Arabic, but the animus is translating that for you. Okay, so I just completely missed that then. Yes, but that's okay. okay. There's a lot. You can miss a lot when you don't exit. Part of the issue and like one of the reasons I wanted to go back and revisit this is so much of the animus lore is either told to us through comics or through present day conversations that are so easy to miss if you don't exit the animus and talk to people after a cutscene. Yeah, and I mean, I think I, I'm not a modern day history or modern day um, sequence hater. Like, I don't, I don't think we should eliminate the modern day sequences at all. But usually, when I'm playing Assassin's Creed, like the historical sequences are what I want to get back to. So I'm not taking myself out of those sequences unless I'm forced to. And so like when I do go into the present day, like, okay, yeah, I'll look around, I'll look through the computer, but I'm not doing that unless I have to. And I think that that's, I think that's a good solid chunk of Assassin's Creed players who behave that way as well. I think you're right. But so that's why our podcast exists. Exactly. So I have done those conversations or looked up those conversations 
to get bring this information to you. So let's dive in. So the Animus actually has like several um, precursors to it that we need to talk about. Like there's not just one linear timeline that shows the Animus, just like there's not like one linear timeline to really how the assassins come together. Because yes, we can talk about that the Hidden Ones are founded in Egypt, but there are a bunch of other groups that are before that we can link to the assassins. So there is like an official like timeline that starts like, okay, we had this invention and then we had the animus. But there's some Isu things that I want to talk about that kind of lend to this. And one of them was that we know that it was developed studying Apples of Eden. And so this is something that has not come up with Apples of Eden a lot, but they seem to be able to impart knowledge. So like, and it's unclear whether they're bringing that knowledge from the future or they're just imparting that knowledge because they have it because Isu had something similar. Like Altair builds a hidden blade gun before gunpowder was really a big thing. And I mean, the Chinese had gunpowder, but it was just really interesting. But he gets that because the apple shows that to him. Uh, the Apple shows Leonardo da Vinci a bunch of math calculations and all this stuff. The Apple is used to develop the Animus or one of its precursors known as the Die Glock. But there's also another piece of Eden that we didn't really talk about last time. Um, and that is what you could call memory disks or memory seals. Uh, we see these in Assassin's Creed Revelations as Ezio uses them to relive certain memories of Altair. And so the discs seem to hold a single memory rather than allowing you to explore the DNA. Um, I think these are more like a pensive that, from Harry Potter than like a true animus that would allow you to explore and synchronize and do things like that. But these, unlike most animuses, they allow you to live someone else's memories. That's not your ancestor. Because, and this is, even though Desmond is a, descendant of both Altair and Ezio, they are not related. Right. And that's what I was going to add that like, that makes that game make a little bit more sense in that regard. Because I always get the, I always get the family tree messed up because of that, frankly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like there's one that comes from Desmond's maternal line. And then like the Kenway line is from his father too. Um, because Desmond makes a like comment to William at one point. He's like, they're your ancestor too. Why don't you do this? Yeah, that's in three, right? So yeah, so that's like, we first had these memory seals that are obviously like the same technology. Like Ezio relives the memories of Altair. So the first machine that was Animus-like, which we talked about in our first An Animus episode, was the Die Glock. Now, this was a huge feat of engineering. It was it had a very crude method of reliving an ancestor's memory. As we know, the Diglock was a partially successful, though it left its user in a pitiful state due to the bleeding effect. Um, we'll talk more about the Diglock and like what it does and everything when we look at our World War II deep dive in this season. But I do want to note that technically the Diglock uses black hole generation to send the user back in time and there's a really complicated thing and it has a lot of implications but we don't have time to get into it there but it's really interesting and it's really terrifying and it's developed by the nazis so you know it's not good and so any thought about these kind of early histories of the animus not really um i do think it's super interesting that the diglock is able to kind of like use black holes in just this random piece of machinery like how were they able to accomplish that is my question right i don't know i mean these yeah. are the same scientists who split the atom so sure um you know i also get my marvel lore in there with they're also the ones that created the red skull so <laughs> there's that yeah. Right. And if you remember, like, this is a little bit of history. Hitler himself had a very, very, like, deep fascination with the mythological and the mystical. 
And so it, it wouldn't surprise me that he would fund a project like this. Sure. I don't think it's out of character at all. It's just like, it's just interesting because we have hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? It's just mm-hmm. interesting when you like look at the, like, really, these were their priorities. Right. But anyway, so Abstergo and the Animus. So at some point in the later half of the 20th century, which I'm defining as 1950 to 1970 is when this is beginning. That's what I would start like your beginning in the later half. Abstergo begins work on what's called the Animus Project. Heading this project was none other than Warwick Vidic, Warren Vidic himself. Vidic is old. Like, really old. Because he is like an established doctorate by the time he begins the Animus Project, which subject, which we'll talk about subject one in a little bit. But subject one begins in the 1980s. So he's like an established 20-year-old man by the time at least, 20 at least, probably close it in on mid-30s if he's established in his career with a doctorate. If not, Close early it in on 40s. 40 even, yeah. Yeah. So by the time that 2012 rounds around, that man is pushing over 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember talking about this in our... Um, first episode that we did and because we had a lot of conversation on how old is Vidic? Because like, I think in the game, he looks like late fifties, early sixties. Right. But if you do Mm. the math, he's, he's gotta be well into his seventies, if not pushing 80, but it's interesting to me. And this has like nothing to do with lore or anything like that. It's interesting to me because like, this is an old game that we're talking about. Like we're talking about original Assassin's Creed. We're talking about Assassin's Creed two, right? Like these are old games. And it's funny because when you play other old games, like, per se, Dragon Age Origins or Knights of the Old Republic, even Mass Effect 1, the people, like, I feel like they look older than they are, especially if you think about when, you know, she looks like she's a grandmother. She's canonically 49 in Dragon Age. And so it's just funny to me because I feel like Vidic is the opposite where he looks way younger than he actually is. Mm-hmm. And like Assassin's Creed is known for making like people look older than they actually are. Like four-year-old Connor looks 12. Yes, I'm not over it. But anyway, so Vidic is a geneticist who is the leading authority on genetic memory. Uh, This is the basis on how the animus works. His work is the leading theory for how they were able to theorize how an animus would work. So the basic theory is that our DNA contains the memories of our ancestors. He bases this off the fact that birds instinctively know where to go when they migrate. Like the first time they migrate, they instinctively know. And Vidic hypothesizes that it's not just instinct that the birds have, but it's rather an ancestral memory through the bird's DNA that guides the birds to know where to go. And so my question is, is that I, is this plausible? Is this theory like scientifically plausible, which is what I want to talk about. And so I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to say why the support that I think this is plausible, which I'm sure Shelby, you have, I can always count on you for your skepticism. And so I'm sure you have some things like this doesn't make any sense. But if we really think about it, especially from a sociological standpoint, there's this idea of historical trauma, of trauma being passed down through generations um, to where this trauma of this traumatic event affects generations so much later than who might have never actually experienced said traumatic event, but the trauma affects them. So there is that theory there. Um, The other thing about that I think really supports this here is that maybe it's not a point where we could actually relive the actual memories, but there is something for like genetic, like makeup that's affecting you more than just your environment. Like that there, there is stuff that you inherit from your family that could lend itself to like the idea to jump while a big jump from that to inherited genetic memories is not like 
it's not completely out of left field. A big jump, yes, but not an impossible jump. Uh, you know, I'm actually probably not going to be the the skeptic today because I absolutely agree with you. Um, historical trauma is something that we have proven like psychologists, I think geneticists, they've proven in our world that historical trauma does exist. And it's basically when, you know, the, the trauma of past generations, and of course it has to be something huge, severe. It's not just like, oh, my family was middle-class. Like that's, that's not a historical trauma, but something that's systemic. Uh, it does, it does. It is absolutely real. It does get passed down. Some examples include people who lived in the great depression, poverty in that era. Think about your, if you, if you even are old enough, I mean, um, some of our listeners are definitely not old enough to have relatives who, uh, lived through the great depression, but my grandfather was, a kid during that time. And my mom talks about the way that he, you know, hoarded food, like they, they kept food in their house. And that, that is an example of how historical trauma manifests. And there are tons of other examples too, like Native American communities and how they experienced the genocide of their people in the 1800s, especially, and also Holocaust survivors. Like those are some of the the biggest examples that I think most people know about. And so I don't necessarily think it's the animus capitalizing on this is outside the realm of possibility. I agree with you that it is very far away from where we're at right now. Um, and it's not like, oh, yeah, this is definitely happening. We just don't know about it. I, I mean, maybe, but I feel like I still feel like we don't know enough about how the brain works, especially for this to be 100% possible in our world today. I think it's more of something that like, yeah, we have the building blocks of this right now, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I was sitting in, if I was sitting in like Vidic's uh, dissertation defense that he was having to give for his dissertation and he was presenting this theory, one of the like questions I would have is you've based this off birds and migration patterns, but birds don't migrate solitarily they migrate in flocks so how how is this not could not just be written off that the birds have a method of communicating with one another that we cannot observe and that's how they know where to migrate yeah i think that's a really fair question because his theory it's it's doesn't involve humanity at all um mm -hmm. and i do think that that is a huge failure frankly because we are a lot different from the creatures of the earth. We're a lot different from birds. Yes. And, you know, fortunately for Vidic, he is right. Mm -hmm. And Abstergo is willing to throw money at the project. And so he gets to do his research. And so I just want to continue like the overview of the project. Then let's take our mid break and then we'll come back with some ver different ver versions of the animus. So Vidic runs into a major problem with the animus and the technology that he's dealing with, you can only relive the memories of one of your ancestors in the animus. And while this is groundbreaking research, because historically assassins have ended up with pieces of Eden, Templar people with Templar ancestries don't have the information that they need to find these apples of Eden. Because remember, Vidic's animus project's goal is to find at pieces of Eden, learn assassin methodology, and find an apple to do their project. I think Project Overlord is what it's called, which is their satellite that will go and enslave all humanity. In the Animus, you can't experience someone else's ancestor, which is what makes it different than the memory seals. Uh, so Vidic begins to hunt down various subjects who have ties to historical assassins and Templars uh, so they can be begin to hunt down pieces of Eden or learn about and learn about assassin methodology. The first time Vidic 
uses the animus officially is in 1980 when subject one was forced to relive the memories of her ancestor uh aveline de grandpe so i have thoughts already i i do think it's really insidious that the first descendant that is you know being used as a test subject for the animus is the descendant of one of the only female black assassins we've ever seen yes it is problematic but the templars are built on thousands of years of systemic racism and depression and so sure i mean i'm not expecting the templars or abstergo to ever be (laughs) anti-racist like don't get me wrong i have no hope and desire for that because they're they're a wicked organization through and through i just feel Mm -hmm. the need to point it out that like hey guys this is this is an example of not so good stuff yeah we also know that in some time in 1983 the animus was used again on a child daniel cross to alter his memories daniel cross was known as subject four so abilene's descendant is subject one daniel Mm -hmm. cross is subject four now correct me if i'm wrong but clay is subject two no we'll get there okay but then what okay well, my question was, who are subjects two and three? We know Daniel Cross is subject four, and obviously his memories are altered so that he can initiate the Great Purge that happens in the basically like le- turn of the millennia. So the Great Purge happens, and then there's not enough assassin support. So the Templars elect George W. Bush, who is their puppet. Um, which all but confirms that Dick Cheney is a Templar in the Assassin's Creed universe. But I'm not here to talk politics. We know almost nothing about subjects 2, 3, and 5 through 15. Uh, We do know that each one of them met an unfortunate fate, that they're all dead. Um, In fact, we, to this day, have no survivors of the Animus Project. The only ones who survived the actual testing and usage of the Animus were Subject 4, Daniel Cross, and Subject 17, Desmond Miles, both of which are now deceased. Do we know why? Like, were records destroyed? Were, was there, a, you know, a archive destruction? Like, you know, what happened for us to lose these records? Do we know? Um, no, with the game has just never, the franchise has just never really addressed these other subjects. But I think it's more of a point of like, when you're building these projects, like you don't always want to start with like the first attempt, because that doesn't sometimes make it seem plausible. Like, let's take a a very funny example. In Lilo and Stitch, Stitch's experiment 626. So he's the 626th experiment attempt of the doctor scientist i forget what his name is um and we obviously if you watch the lilo and stitch show you know that we got to see other things of the other 626 25 experiments but so like i get why they do that but we don't really know anything about it but it is saying that almost everyone who has been a part of the animus project is dead even up to the point like lucy is dead like Warren modern Biddick day, is dead. Modern day users yeah. of the animus. Layla. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone that we experience using an animus is dead. Right. Actually. Because Layla is gone, obviously. Sorry, spoiler. Charlotte de la Cruz is dead. Um, the only person who is not dead who we actually see using an animus is none other than the immortal man himself, Juhani Otzoberg. My beloved. <laughs> <laughs> He's evil. But I don't agree with that. I don't. We have a stat. Okay. Pause. Time out. There's a flag on the play. First of all. <laughs> In our character deep dive, we established why that's not true. We had a whole big conversation about how we think that Juhani, if he if he had been born under different circumstances, could have easily been an assassin. So I, you know, 
I don't think it's just easy enough to say, oh, well, he's evil, so we hate him, he's bad, end of discussion. Like, it's much more of a gray area than literally any other Templar that we've ever met. So you need to back that train up. But this is very off topic, so I will I will um, replay the game. Yes. So, and like, there are assassins' attempts to develop the um, Animus as well. We know that William Miles in the 80s steals Animus plans and gives them to the assassin uh, in Russia. And that results to um, Galena's mother getting these and forcing her people to go into the animus and cause them all to go crazy, which is a big deal until Galena, with the help of Gavin Banks and some other people, have to eradicate the entire Russian Brotherhood. So the assassins aren't doing any better at this point. But I think this is a good point for our mid-break before we uh, get into our animus and the different versions that we've had and then um, talk about just a, a last discussion question that I got. Sure. Shoot! Shoot a flying demon! I'm sure you can put this to better use than I can. Oh, what's this, Greeny? Assassin Christmas. I need to be oiled before I go to the games. Well, I would have been happy to assist if you were in any state to compete. I likes to be oiled. Well, that's obvious. All right. Well, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. So the first thing we always do on all of our episodes is thank our patrons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of our patrons, past, present, current, and future patrons. Thank you all so much for your support of the podcast. We love you so much. We're so thankful for you. And we couldn't keep making the show without you. Now, this is a new year. It's 2024. And that means that we're sending out merch to our patrons. And we finally got the designs for our merch and it's amazing. I love them so much. Um, we're sending out two stickers this year. Hopefully next year we'll be able to upgrade to more and maybe t-shirts too. But our stickers for this year are literally amazing. One has an assassin on it and it also says um, the Assassin's Creed lore cast. And then the other one is a picture or a drawing of a hidden blade and it says stay your blade like from the Creed. And they're beautiful and awesome, and they're super high-quality stickers. And if you're a patron at Tier 2 or higher, you get them just for being a patron, just for being you. Um, and it, it, I do need to mention that the stickers were created by Lauren Ibanez, and she's an artist. You can find her on Twitter. You can find her links in the episode description. She's an amazing artist if you love our work. Um, or our merch and want more of her work, definitely go to her website, commission her, shout her out. She's awesome. Yeah. But I know that that's patron merch. Now we are actually thinking about doing just regular merch that you can buy from us. So if there's anything that you think would make a great t-shirt, whether it's a uh, quote from the show, something funny you think we've said, or maybe just uh, a saying from the games or something, definitely let us know in a review, in a comment, in a DM, in our server, whatever the case may be. Let us know because that's in progress. Um, probably won't be live for a while, but if you have ideas, definitely send them our way. Now, the best way to support us if you can't support us financially is to leave us a rating a review or a comment on Spotify. All of these things very much help us um, with SEO, help our show get out to new people. And so if you leave a nice rating, a nice comment, whatever the case may be, 
We will read it out on the show, and we do have one to read today. This one comes from Jordan, who commented on the favorite mode of assassination episode and said, I love this podcast. It has reopened my eyes to the AC world. Thank you guys so much, 100 out of 10. Thank you so much, Jordan, for that awesome review. And then last but certainly not least is our Discord server. It is my favorite place on the internet. We have a lot of fun. We celebrate holidays and make funny memes and just talk about all of our favorite video game characters. So if you are interested in joining the server, definitely click that link in our episode description and come hang out with us. And Austin, I think that that is all I've got for the middle of the show. So let's get back into it. Malaka! 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 A party? I wasn't invited. Neither were the horses. <laughs> I'm sure she just misplaced my invitation. <sighs> Stuck. See if you can find something to pry it open. Donna? What are you up to? No, don't do that. There's no way of knowing what's on the other side! All right. So... There have been different versions of the Animus, and so it has evolved through time. So the first one is the Animus 1.28, which I'm just laughing at because it feels like a Apple version release of like, you can't just be the Animus 1.0. It's the Animus version 1.28. Well, I mean, usually that means there's been two and then eight like minor updates. It's not like they're just choosing the numbers willy nilly. I guess that's true. Um, so this is the animus we use in Assassin's Creed, the table, the first thing that we see. Uh, it allows a glass panel to view the memories. Uh, it was very prone to overheating after extended use, which is why you have all the interruptions that are in there. It was also very prone to causing the bleeding effect. So then we have the animus 2.0, which is not an Abstergo design. This is designed and developed by none other, other than Rebecca Crane. This is the Assassin's version of the Animus. And so this is used by Desmond Miles to, Miles to experience the memories of Ezio. Uh, obviously, if you play the games, Rebecca calls it baby, which, you know, Rebecca fills that tech stereotype who is overattached to her inventions and things like that. And she was able to do this because Lucy Stillman was sending her schematics. It was a chair instead of a table. It was linked via a catheter in the arm instead of like basically um, the animus. To, the first animus was an epidural. So it went in through your spine. Still unable to prevent the bleeding effect. This animus does allow for a database system that allowed the user to gain historical information while experiencing the memories of the ancestor and things they encountered, which you all know, you walk up to the, um, the famous bridge in Venice, it's going to pull up a database entry that tells you all about that bridge and its history. And all of those in-universe are written by Sean Hastings. Sean Hastings, Codex author extraordinaire. Yes, exactly. Um, it also was able to serve as a life support system for Desmond Miles when he went down after the events in the Colosseum. Um, and then we have the Animus 3.0, which is what we see in Assassin's Creed 3. Um, and this is... Not much changed other than it can just be set up. It's like it almost looks like one of those beach folding chairs that like have the little seat, but they sit on the ground where you can like sit on the seat. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's portable um, in late 2012. So the Animus and its ability to synchronize had progressed to the point where it was allow anybody to view genetic memories of another individual provided that they had the DNA in storage. Now, this is the animal animus console, which looks like a TV screen, a computer. We see these in first in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. When you go there and you sit there, you basically view the genetic memory. Now, it is to note, because you are just viewing the genetic memory without any kind of physical hookup, 
This has not caused the bleeding effect. They just have to have the DNA in storage. And this is possible. They call this the Sample 17 Project because they utilize Desmond's body that they take from the Grand Temple to create a storage of DNA. So it eventually is upgraded to a point when we finally do get it to Abstergo Entertainment, the Animus Omega, because it was supposed to be the Animus that ended all Animus because you didn't have to have an ancestor to experience that DNA. Um, but they couldn't utilize with this because there's no bleeding effect. They couldn't train people with it like Desmond underwent his training as an assassin. So these they were used that they were using the Animus Omega to basically location and find places for basically Abstergo Entertainment's new products. Um, but in reality, they were still looking for pieces of Eden and information on the first civilization. So and then you have the Animus uh, VR, which is similar to the Animus Omega. It's just portable VR goggles. We see those in the comics. Then the Animus 4.3. So this is only seen in the Assassin's Creed movie and is very controversial. But this is going back to a physical hookup. And it's a giant arm that attaches to the person. And they can like move and run around as they're experiencing the memories. You either think it's cool or you think it's stupid. It just depends on the Assassin's Creed movie. Um, I have not finished the Assassin's Creed movie. I've never watched it from beginning to end, so I can't comment too much on it, but that's what this one is. So have you never finished the movie because it's terrible? I have fallen asleep every time I've tried to watch it. How many times have you tried to watch it? Three times. Okay. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we have the Animus HR8, which was the one we see in Assassin's Creed Origins. The big point about this is that Layla is able to develop this to where she can have a physical hookup, which allows for a more authentic experience that isn't necessarily colored by anyone who's presenting the data, but she can do it with someone else's DNA. She just needs to load the DNA into the Animus. And this is really interesting because in a scene in Origins, these beings called the messengers, which you can encounter in the various tombs and sites in Assassin's Creed Origins, hypothesized Layla's animus was closer to be able to alter time than the other animi had been. Layla dismissed this notion, insisting that history was set and that the most her animus could do would be explore simulations of what might have been, thereby altering historical experience for future users. And so the HR 8.5 is the last version of the animus, which is a portable version of the HR 8 that is basically just VR goggles. Now, is this the one, the HR this 8 This is in, in Odyssey. Okay. And then the HR 8.5 is also in Odyssey or is that in Valhalla? Oh, so the 8.5 is in Odyssey. The HR 8 is in Origins and Valhalla. Okay, gotcha. So then what is in Mirage? There's not one. We don't know. Okay. If you notice in my sources, I have listed every game except Mirage because we're not told what kind of animus is in I Mirage because we have no modern day sequences in Mirage. It's interesting. So my last kind of thing to close us out here and to end our time here is the question, is the Animus time travel? It's a fascinating question. You know, I have always said that I don't like time travel. I think it's messy and I think it creates more problems than it solves and is often used as a way to be like, we've written ourselves into a corner here. And so let's just go back in time so we can do something different. And I completely agree with you. I um, have a tendency to hate time travel. I hated it in Star, War Star Wars with the world between worlds. I hated it in Dragon Age with time magic. I dislike it in Marvel. I dislike it in pretty much every instance of everything ever because it completely cheapens every plot point. Because if you have time travel what's what are the stakes for anything you can just leave you can just go back and change this decision mm -hmm. however with that being said 
I do feel like the animus functionally is a it is time travel in this universe. It's not it's not strictly following the rules of what we would consider time travel in like our society, but or in our media. Um, it's not mm-hmm. like the traditional format. It doesn't follow the tropes, but like functionally, yeah, we're going back in time and we're we're making choices and doing things, but we are also bound by whatever the ancestor, whatever their choices were. Mm-hmm. Right. And like we see that in the universe. Um, and that's one of the limitations of the animus is that is synchronization. You cannot make your ancestor do something that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's a point where Charlotte is reliving one of her ancestors, and there's this woman that's getting attacked, and her ancestor doesn't go and save them. And when she does try to go and save them, she's booted out and desynchronized. Yeah. It's an int- I think I agree with you that it is technically time travel because you are experiencing events of the past, and it would affect things, especially like. If you could go back in time and experience something that we like, like if you found somewhere, some kind of someone who had Amelia Earhart's uh, DNA and you went back and you found out what happened to her, like that would be a huge thing that would solve a great historical or mystery. And there are lots of things that you could do to figure that out. And it would be a lot of power, but it's not the same of like, I'm going to go back in time and ensure that that Hitler doesn't rise to power. But then, uh oh, I accidentally caused Russia to conquer the world, you mm-hmm. know, just something like that. Yeah. Like you're very much bound by the constraints of the historical record you are Mm -hmm. not able to go back in and change the world like you couldn't go in and kill hitler like you you can't do those kinds of things and there's just a point and like we see this again like if Ezio is supposed to follow a target for the memory that you're going if you kill them you're desynchronized yeah I do think this is an an area where the newer games kind of fail to communicate the lore because there isn't really desynchronization. Like, yes, if you die, you get desynchronized. It's game over. But like, and I guess with Eivor, if you kill civilians, sure. But like, there's no, it's not communicated in the same way as it is in Assassin's Creed 1 in assassin's creed 2 like there's no bar that tells you hey you killed a civilian if you do that again you're gonna get desynchronized you know what i mean right and it's also a point of like this is why i think the like choice has not been a great thing because if you like with the later games if connor if Ezio, if altair if edward are supposed to kill this person and no one sees them kill that person. If you get detected, you're desynchronized, but that's not really the case in the later games. True. And I think like one of the things that has really like helped them with this and doing that is the timelines they've introduced in these are like, there's not a lot of historical record. Like, but we don't have especially origins and odyssey like we do not have we do not know how anything went down right true but that's an interesting that's all i really have for this episode um on the animus and recap so i think we're ready to wrap it up unless you have some last thoughts i just have a question more than than a final thought and that is about the nature of the bleeding effect um and i'm just kind of curious you know this was developed with the Nazis, this was developed, you know, starting in World War II, continuing on, and it's not really functional for a long time. But I'm just kind of curious if, along with the bleeding effect, is it possible that part of um, the appearance of insanity that comes along with it is the effects of radiation? I'm just kind of wondering if that was used when the animus was originally built and conceptualized it's definitely possible uh and when we get into more about the diglock uh we just don't have if they're utilizing uh radiation or you know that kind of 
technology that they at the time a lot of scientists were just playing with i mean i think you know we've talked about oppenheimer and like they're all around this irradiated material with no protection like no lead vests no nothing and we wonder why they all died of cancer so it's possible that there is some kind of irradiated material that is happening there but i think it comes down to the fact that I think the bleeding effect comes from the fact of it's ISU technology that is doing this. And so maybe not radiation, but it's the use of ISU technology, because we know if you do not have a high enough concentration of ISU DNA, those things will drive you crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. You'll see visions, you'll do all of that. Um, You won't be able to control yourself. Which is why, like, I think people like Desmond, people like Charlotte, people like Layla, they have the ability to endure that bleeding effect a little more because they have that ISU DNA in them. Right. And that makes sense. Well, if that's all, I guess we can wrap it up, right? Yeah, let's go ahead. All right. Well, like always, thanks so much for doing the research. Um, This was interesting. And I feel like we built on the foundation of our first episode and kind of went a little bit deeper and helped me understand it a little bit more than I did way back when. Um, But yeah, so thank you. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Warcast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.